And little did I know that, you know, four months after I, I opened the restaurant, uh, Hong Kong would have SARS. Right. And I opened the first restaurant, Bombay Dreams, in December 2002. Right. And April 1 was SARS. And the second Bombay Dreams in Kowloon opened on 1st March 2003. And overnight, we dropped 80% of the business. Welcome to the Asia Society Hong Kong Movers and Shakers podcast. Through the short interactive fireside chat, we get to meet with the leaders and game changers in different industries for insights into their personal journey to success, what they learned, how they failed, and other interesting wisdom they may want to share. Today's guest is Sandeep Sekri, founder of Hong Kong's Dining Concepts. As an entrepreneur, Sandeep's story is one of resilience, grit, and determination. Born in New Delhi, Sandeep came to Hong Kong as a restaurant manager in 1990 at the age of 24. 12 years later, he decided to go at it alone, setting up the Dining Concepts Group. Sandeep talked to us very candidly about what it took for him to build those first restaurants, and he offers insight on the current business landscape amid COVID-19 and lessons learned from experiences with SARS in 2003 and the economic crisis of 2008. Sandeep invited us to his offices to conduct the following interview. You know, um, I was uh, academically very average when I was growing up. And they, the options when I was growing up back in, in Delhi, in India, was uh, you had to be either a doctor or an engineer and maybe an accountant. And I couldn't be either of them. That required really high level of, uh, you know, ac- uh, you had to be academically really good. So. I didn't have too many options, you know, so um, I remember a great uncle of mine giving me a book. It was 14 Laws of Success by Napoleon Hill. And that book has definitely influenced my life to a very large extent. And of course, my dad, you know, what I learned from my dad, he used to um, repeatedly use one sentence, which was sincerity of purpose that you've got to be sincere in whatever you do in life. You have to be honest, you have to have the integrity. And so sincerity of purpose is one quality and one attribute that I've tried to to remain, to keep it with me, you know, in every aspect of uh, my professional life that I've, uh, uh, I've, I've tried to be very sincere to my, in, in my efforts. So I would say that those are the two very distinctive, uh, you know, and, and obviously there, there were some key moments in life where I was going to take some decisions the wrong way and then my big brother, my older brother intervened and he taught me uh, a couple of good, very good life lessons which came in very handy. And uh, for example, I was just about to join a hotel to work as a waiter. And my brother used to work in the Indian Army. And he said to me, uh, do you realize that if you join as a, as a soldier in the Indian Army, you can never become a general? So likewise, if you start off as a waiter, the chances of you becoming a general manager of a hotel is quite remote. <clears throat> so if you went to a hospitality school and gained a basic level of education and started from a managerial position, the chances of you growing and, and being at the top is, is a lot better. And that actually really helped. So I did go to a hospitality school only because of, you know, that one reasoning which my brother gave me. 
and that uh, was very, very valid. So you went straight to school? So I finished my high school and I went to a hotel school in Delhi mm-hmm. and I studied there for four years and I specialized in, in restaurants mm-hmm. and um, I took up a job uh, as a, like a management trainee in a hotel group in Delhi and uh, my starting salary in, in that time was maybe 30 US dollars right. a month. A month. And uh, the, even after six months of finishing that internship, I knew my, it was not gonna make a lot of money. Uh, the one thing the, you know, I figured out as soon as I graduated was that I've chosen a wrong profession. And hospitality is a business where your income never commensurates with the efforts you put in. The amount of effort you need to put in and what you make out of it is, is never, you know, matches. Mm-hmm. So I figured out that there was no point for me to keep working in India where I would work the same number of hours and make a very little amount of money. But if I went overseas, I would still work the same number of hours, but make many times more mm-hmm. that money. So that was a single sort of biggest reason why I started looking for opportunities overseas to work overseas. And I was 24 years old when I had an opportunity to come to Hong Kong to work as a restaurant manager. And uh, I came to Hong Kong on a salary of 5,000 Hong Kong dollars, uh, which was, um, I guess, you know, about 600 US. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, there was no internet. There was no sort of, I didn't have much knowledge about Hong Kong. I didn't know much about Hong Kong. And except from the Lonely Planet guides. And so I just took the plunge and I said, okay, just because I'm getting this opportunity, I'm going to do my best to make the most out of this opportunity. And I left, you know, uh, India at 24. I didn't know a soul in Hong Kong. I had also never traveled overseas. And this was my first flight out of India. Wow. It's your first and passport. That's right. Absolutely brand new passport. And um, so I was very nervous, but I was also very confident, you know, that I am going to make something special out of it. This confidence that you've had, um, have you always had it? So um, while I was doing my hotel school in Delhi, I used to go in the evenings and work as a waiter in in a couple of hotels in Delhi. Mm-hmm. So I used to earn about um, two US dollars for working for about five and a half, six hours. And then I used to reach home at maybe one, one a.m. And I used to go to school the next morning at 8 a.m. Uh, what that taught me was uh, the value for money and never to, you know, shirk responsibility. What hospitality is all about, a lot of hard work. And those three years of working in, in hotels part-time as a waiter really prepared me for the real world. Mm. And that gave me a lot of confidence. That was probably the single most important event in my life which prepared me for hospitality industry. And I used to go to Alliance Francaise to learn French. And I used to uh, pay my school fee with the money I made. And uh, so 
that two US dollars a night that I earn after working for five, six hours, very lot of hard work was really worth it. And that came in very handy in the later years of, of my life. Uh, and, and also in the first few years of my life when, when I came in to work as a restaurant manager, but you know, I was like, okay, you know what? I'm gonna take care of everything in the restaurant. You guys don't need to worry. And, uh, and that, that whole confidence in my own abilities came by, by working extremely hard for several years before I took on the job. And would you ever compare yourself to your peers at the time? Did you, did you think that you were sort of a cut above them at that moment? So um, my peers at that time were only interested in having a good time mm -hmm. in the hotel school. They were not very conscious about their future or, uh, you know, the everyone by year two or year three realized that they've chosen a wrong profession because not many people are cut out for hospitality. It's a very tough profession. And so out of 100 kids who passed out in a year, uh, about on, uh, only about 20 would remain in hospitality business after five years. Mm -hmm. And that number would further go down after another three, four years. So, and, and I actually did not have too many other options. So I knew this was, I loved you know, the, the nature of that business. Mm -hmm. It was a very people's, the people's part of the business was something which really always attracted me towards this business and I really enjoyed uh, doing this. You say you were 24 when you came to Hong Kong. What did you think of Hong Kong when you first came here? Like I said, I'd never traveled overseas before. Um, Hong Kong was my first country I came to. Uh, I remember driving through um, Kowloon City and that really put me off. And I was like, how can a foreign country look like this? Mm. And the next thing I knew was I was taken into Chungking Mansion <laughs> to stay for the first couple of weeks of my stay uh, when I first arrived. So that was dreadful, you know. But, you know, one of the things that I had learned uh, growing up was adapting yourself to every circumstance, adapting yourself to, you know, whichever situation you're in being versatile and and making the most out of that situation. So while staying in Chungking Mansion was was not something I expected when I left home, I definitely didn't let that put me down in any way. And my my goal was to succeed in Hong Kong. My goal was not, you know, that was very temporary. So I said, I'm just gonna do this for a couple of weeks, stay here for a month or until I find accommodation. And um, so, but it was uh, not something I expected. Yeah, it sounds like it was good motivation for you. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, this was look, looking at, uh, you know, that environment and how people stayed there. And it was um, very overwhelming. And, uh, but, you know, I, I just didn't let that bother me because my goals were very different. Right. So you, you, you seem to have this gift for seeing past your current circumstances and knowing what the future held for you and kind of just work towards that goal? You know, I, I think it's really important to be able to, like I said, adapt. Mm -hmm. Don't let, these are, even if you call them setbacks, these are just temporary situations. Right. And you, if you're in a situation which is not to your liking or to, to your advantage, 
then you work towards getting out of that situation as soon as possible and making something special for yourself, making it, you know, things to happen according to the way you want things to happen. Right. And so, uh, you know, staying positive, being, being positive as a mindset mm-hmm. is something which, you know, I kind of grew up with. Right. And I have, I always find something positive in every situation. Mm. And, and also while growing up in, in, with my mom and dad, um, I learned never to complain or whinge or moan about anything. Mm. So, I mean, it's hard to believe, but I have never moaned about anything in my life. Mm. I mean, I wouldn't swap anything in my life. You know, mm. life is beautiful. And I, did, I, I knew uh, that I came into work as a restaurant manager 5,000 Hong Kong dollar salary, but I was also uh, very conscious of the fact that this is not going to remain that way for too long. And and I knew I'm, I was going to uh, change my situation very, very quickly, prove myself, grow in the, in the company, and, um, and keep doing better for myself. And I also, by the way, got married two weeks before I came to Hong Kong at 24. And... Um, which was a lot of responsibility mm-hmm. that I took upon myself. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was going out with someone who I always felt I could spend the rest of my life with. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. And I, I uh, you know, I proposed that let's get married. Uh, it was very, sort of everything happened in 48 hours. Wow. And uh, so we got married and I came here first and I said, let me go and check the place out and then you can join me as soon as possible and uh, so with that kind of mindset I guess you don't have a choice but to make it work yeah. <laughs> you know when you're in a situation this way you actually don't have a choice but you've got to make it work you seem to have a lot of resilience grit and your mindset's very positive uh, but one thing that uh, that most of our guests have gone through is failure but you seem to embrace failure and uh, but what's a great failure in your life that you've learned good lessons from that you can speak about? I think the first and foremost, I, I think um, I, I love to observe people around me and, mm-hmm. and see the typical mistakes they make on a daily basis and why they do things in a certain way and how we could improve, you know, and how I could personally improve from those lessons. And so I, I'm trying to you know, learn something different, something new every day, but also looking at other people, people's failures or other people's um, uh, failings, I try to to learn as much from other people's mistakes as from my own. Um, I was very realistic from day one. I knew what are my strengths and what are my weaknesses. Mm. I have always been very grounded I have never lived in an illusionary world Um, I could tell you more about my weaknesses than my strengths on any given day Mm -hmm. I I try to focus on my weaknesses and my shortcomings and use my strengths or my you know strong points that I have to to overcome those weaknesses or or have people around me uh, who complement my skill set 
it is, it's extremely important. We are in people's sort of business. This is not a one-man show. Mm -hmm. this, this, is, uh, this is all about people. Right. So right person in the right job and in the right place is the key to making things work. I, I've made a lot of mistakes in the last 17, 18 years that I've run my... I, I founded Dining Concepts and, uh, and I ran the business. The, the key, I believe, is to really learn from your mistakes and, and not do them again not do them the second time around. That's fair. And uh, because the price that you pay then is, is very, very high. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you touched on an important point there. You said right person, right place, right time, uh, right job is the key. Um, part of building sort of uh, your empire, I guess, it's having the right team, the right people around you. Do you have a certain um, filter for seeing talent or potential talent with people before you bring them on? into your team and what have you seen in some people that has made them successful? The key for me is attitude. Okay. Um, skill set is about 50% mm -hmm. and the rest is attitude. You can train someone for any job, you know, if they have the right attitude, if they have the right mindset, if they have the common vision, the, the same mindset where there's a lot of positivity. There is, you know, uh, people don't need to have kind of hidden agendas. People, people who are around you, there needs to be mutual respect. You know, I learned very early on that you can never order respect. You can only command respect. Mm. You know, you have to, you're in a position that you're leading a team. Um, everyone knows you're the boss but you don't have to carry a chip on your shoulder that you're the boss. You don't have to act like a boss. Mm -hmm. You c can be one of them and be a team player yeah. and take the team forward. So I have never considered myself as the boss and I have never uh, really acted like one where you know I think I'm, my word is the last word and, and whatever I say, everyone's got to follow it. It's For me, it's... Um, I happen to be in a position where I'm leading a group of people, but that does not necessarily mean that I'm, I can, most of our decisions that we've made over the years have been unanimous with the team, with the key players, with the key people in the, in the company. And so you, you have to be a people's person in, in hospitality in order to you know, make it work for yourself and others around you. Um, something I want to touch on, uh, based on um, the last time we met, uh, you said something very interesting. One of the things you were most proud of was how many millionaires you've made um, in the city. <laughs> Is there a, a number of, of people that you've made? Uh, you know, I, I, I read somewhere early on, it's not important how many millions you make, but how many millionaires you make. You know, and that kind of stayed with me. Hmm. You know, I mean, I think it's all about live and let live, sharing your success with everyone around you. Yeah. And it's not about, it's, it's again not about, you know, just keep it all for yourself. But because you have to share your success because without those key people, you would not be where you are today. And there is no single person who's capable of running, you know, 30, 40 restaurants right. on, on themselves. You know, it's a team that makes it work. You know, there's a, there's a finance controller. There is... 
operations, head of operations. There is people who do marketing. There is people who do design. There's there's a lot of people who contribute. There are a lot of moving parts, and uh, so I think uh, I learned over the years to to actually acknowledge the fact that you need to share your success with everyone around you who you know made it possible to start with. Now, especially in this current climate. 2020, um, everything that's going on, a lot of people are sort of in that transition phase, uh, whether they've lost their jobs or, or start something new. And I think they can relate a lot to your story back in 2002, uh, when uh, you first started Dining Concepts. And you, you left your other restaurant group, and it was you were at a point where nobody could hire you because you were too expensive. Um, is that what kind of propelled you? Yeah, so it? I, um, you know, I had a salary of let's say 80,000 Hong Kong yeah. and in 2002. And I, I had some profit share in my previous company. Uh, and when I took the decision of, of moving on because of certain circumstances, I had no choice but to move on. And there were no large restaurant groups or there were no hotels who would... So I was literally not employable anymore. Right. I was a managing director of a company which did $200 million in turnover. I had started that company from scratch, you know, with, with the owner. Right. And um, so for me, I was not employable anymore. So I had no choice but to start something on my own. Now, starting something on my own, I mean, it just sounds easy, but how you need the capital, you need the finance, you need the team, you need the location, you need the design, you need, you know, there's a lot of different things that you need to put together. And little did I know that you know, four months after I, I opened the restaurant, uh, Hong Kong would have SARS. Right. And I opened the first restaurant, Bombay Dreams, in December 2002. Right. And April 1 was SARS. And the second Bombay Dreams in Kowloon opened on 1st March 2003. And overnight, we dropped 80% of the business. Wow. And so barely started. So I used to walk up to Soho in those days. And I realized that while the rest of the city had lost 80% of the business, Soho had just lost 20% of the business. And I tried to figure out why. And the only reason uh, was that all the expats and locals who lived in mid-levels would just walk down from their homes to eat there. So I kind of saw an opportunity in creating a dining district where uh, the existing restaurants in Soho were not very design focused or in, in terms of cuisine and the quality of offering was very mediocre. Mm. And, and I saw an opportunity there. And everyone told me that the SARS was going to be back in the winter months and WHO said that as well. So uh, Hong Kong was kind of SARS-free by July of 2003. And I had, I was in the dumps. I'd lost everything. I'd lost all my savings and I'd found investors and they put in some money. And then I, I had literally nothing left, you know. So I said, if there's nothing left, why don't I just open another one and see how it goes. And, and then I can just possibly, you know, shut everything down and leave Hong Kong. And um, I was preparing for my kids to go and study back in Delhi and in, in the French school that they used to go here. And, 
and um, then I came across a, a space uh, which was a restaurant called Cubana which was operated by a chef and uh, I went to Lama to speak to that chef and I said I want to take over your restaurant and um, and you know uh, the chef was was fine with me taking over so I helped the the landlord clear you know the outstanding dues from the chef because of that reason I took on a a very long-term lease at a very very small amount of money at a very small rent and I opened a restaurant called Soho Spice in December 2003 and I worked on that project for about five six months and um, from February 2004 that restaurant took off like nothing no one's business it did extremely well and Bombay Dreams had also sort of taken off again and um, I was very hands-on I used to work behind the bar or on the floor or in, in either of the three restaurants and um, then I saw other opportunities in Soho then I you know bought a New York deli and a Mexican taqueria place then I uh, then I went to a hair salon and I said you know why don't I buy you out guys because it's too big a space for you and why don't I find you another location somewhere and I did that for it was a hair salon called hip fish and I found them another space. I, I paid them a small amount of money to take over those premises and I opened Olive. And Olive became one of the biggest success stories. You know, I opened Olive in 2004, October. By the time I had already gotten four restaurants in Soho. And uh, then in 2005, I opened a couple more restaurants. So I, I had like seven restaurants in Soho in, in like two and a half years. And, uh, and each one of them were doing phenomenally well. And then in 2007, I realized that a lot of uh, investors, speculative investors had bought properties in Soho and they were looking at you know doubling or tripling or tripling your rents. And, and I said, okay, time to get out of Soho then. Mm. So I got offered a space in, in uh, Harbor City mm -hmm. and uh, we brought in a concept from New York called BLT State. And uh, by 2008, there was huge economic crisis around the world. And everyone warned me not to do it at that time. And, and my, the only reasoning I did it was no one else is doing anything. So if I do this, I'm going to for sure get a lot of attention. Mm -hmm. And that proved to be absolutely spot on. Mm -hmm. And we made an absolute fortune from... BLT Steak and after BLT Steak happened BLT Burger and then I opened with another New York chef Michael White a restaurant called Al Molo next door to BLT Steak which took off big time as well then you know we did Tango Bisteca you know in Central and 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 then I went to Macau um, I got you know carried away by by the casinos that were opening in 2007 and I opened an Italian restaurant called Ciccone's there. And very quickly I realized that I had made a big mistake, that uh, Macau is not for me. Mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not a place where I, I kind of understood how to do a business. Right. You needed to be a local to understand and have those contacts. And mm -hmm. So none of the practices that we follow in Hong Kong uh, work in Macau. Right. So it's a different country, it's a different ball game, it's a different world. So in the first year, I realized that I had made a mistake and I quickly 
recovered my investments, made a little bit of money and sold that restaurant to a local operator and got out of Macau. And I kept a small pizzeria there called Pizza Pizza in the in the uh, food court mm-hmm. for about 10 years after that, mm-hmm. which proved to be extremely successful. And that's the only thing I ever did in Macau. And I, I learned my lessons to, to you know, uh, to be very focused. And I got a lot of opportunities over the years to go to China, Singapore, India, but I never ventured out to any of those places because, you know, our business requires us to be extremely hands-on. Right. And, you know, I'm, I'm like a nobody in those cities. Those, you know, all my credibility, all my, my uh, whatever work I've ever done was in Hong Kong. So they, there was no way I could make it, you know, in, in those cities. So that's why I actually never did that. You've got to be very focused and hands-on in, in our business, and that's probably one of the reasons why I didn't venture out to any other city, any other place in, in, in Asia. And, um, you know, and, and also, you know, when I first started on my own uh, back in 2002, I started doing trading. I did hotel supplies business. Mm-hmm. I did tri- trims and accessories for garments. I tried a lot of different businesses because I didn't know what was gonna work and what was not. So eventually after three, four years, when I realized that restaurants, hotel supplies and food delivery, I kept my, myself focused on, on those. Mm-hmm. You stayed in those lanes. That's right. <laughs> um, no, in, in Hong Kong, you sort of uh, built the empire here. And I guess one of the things that we'd like to stay on is like you've been here for a while and you've seen many different economic downturns and it seems that during the downturns is when you've become more successful Um, can you use is there any wisdom or advice that uh, you could talk about that and how that worked out for you I think I think one of the keys to always has been to run a very lean and mean operation where you are not extravagant and you are not uh, spending more than what you're earning, the bottom line is what matters. If you're already very conscious of your costs from on, in how you run your business and you literally work the numbers backwards where you know what you're going to make and what your fixed costs are and then you work the numbers out, uh, it's all about numbers at the end of the day. You know, you can't, you, there's, there's no group of shareholders who would keep pumping in the money into a business which does not make money or which does not give them right returns. And uh, so if, if you manage your costs well, then you're always cash rich. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we sell on cash and we buy on credit in our business. So our cash flow is something which, you know, helps us, uh, you know, we can, we can grow the business a lot too because of our cash flow. And um, so if majority of the businesses that you do are EBITDA positive, then you can actually really make use of a downturn mm-hmm. in picking up, you know, businesses for 20, 30 cents, 40 cents to a dollar. Right. And, uh, and those decisions and, and those times come in very handy for the sort of the next phase of growth mm-hmm. or, or, you know, so um, to be conservative, to be very grounded, and to be well aware of the numbers is the key right. because it's so easy to get carried away in our business mm-hmm. that, you know, I mean, 
everything's working, you think you can never make a mistake, you cannot do anything wrong, right. so you keep you know, expanding and keep trying to open more and more and more, which is not necessarily the right way. I mean, I did the same thing. In anything that I opened between August 2012 and December 2013, there were five restaurants in a row for different reasons they didn't work. And that was at a time when I was, uh, you know, I had, you know, 18, 20 restaurants and I thought they were all doing extremely well and I thought I could not do anything wrong. And I definitely overextended myself. And uh, a lot of times I was not, I didn't know what I was doing, except that I had a lot of cash lying around me. Right. And uh, so I've, I've been through five or six cycles in, in 30 years in Hong Kong. And I think uh, anyone who is who's a conservative at heart and who, who you know, manages their numbers well, uh, would always find a lot of opportunities in, in these downturns mm. and actually make real good use of them. Uh, if we could uh, sort of go back to uh, something you said uh, previously uh, that I think falls in line with a lot of the stories that you've been sharing is uh, your decision first, strategy later. Um, is that something that you uh, sort of pass on to your team? Is that something that you live by? So um, I live by that for myself. I won't recommend it for everyone. It's not something for the faint-hearted, mm. you know, because you land up making a lot of mistakes with, with this approach. Uh, I, have, uh, I have always lived in personal and professional life uh, with decision first, strategy later. Um, one of the biggest difficulties anyone has is making a decision. So how do you arrive at a decision? It's, that's the hardest part usually. You know, you have spreadsheets and you do all the analysis and do you strategize. I mean, it's not the right thing, I would say, but I follow a lot of gut feel and instincts with what I've done in my life, both personally and professionally. And so once a decision is made, execution of that decision becomes so much easier because you have no choice but to make that decision work. So all your efforts are you know, focused in making that decision work. And not as if it, it you know, it's always worked. For example, I, my, most of my interviews don't last more than five to 10 minutes. And when I'm interviewing someone, I just use my gut feel and instincts and I can see if the person has the right sort of attitude. And thankfully I've been correct 95% of the time. So, you know, so having that eye and having that, you know, kind of your sixth sense working where you you get the feel, the vibe right. in, in any situation or any circumstance, I, I would say is the key to, and, and it's also, you know, risk taking is, I guess, one of the, one of the key driving factors for an entrepreneur. And, um, and I mean, I don't ever go to Macau to gamble. I gamble with my business. Right. I gamble with, you know, a lot of other things that I do. So it's, um, I'm, I'm always up for a challenge. I'm always up for a, an excitement, you know. Um, I, love, uh, I love to put myself through uh, very challenging situations. Most of my wounds are self-inflicted. So I 
don't mind taking upon myself any challenge that comes my way. Uh, if we could just stay on the track of challenges, um, it's a very challenging time now, uh, not just in Hong Kong but globally. What do you, uh, based on your past experience that we just talked, you've been through five different uh, down cycles here in Hong Kong. What, what do you see for the next six months to a year uh, with this entire uh, situation? So, I'm, I'm always optimistic. Okay. So, but you need to be cautiously optimistic. So, you know, the political unrest in Hong Kong, uh, which, you know, we could easily do without. Yes. One in, in, in Hong Kong. Um, I'm, I'm a made in Hong Kong story. So mm-hmm. I have, uh, Hong Kong's my home. Hong Kong's what I, you know, breathe. And uh, so for me, um, you know, of course it breaks my heart to see what Hong Kong's gone through. Um, this pandemic is, is not something anyone could have predicted. Anyone, you know, this came out of nowhere. Yeah. And uh, Hong Kong's done reasonably well in controlling. Yes. And could, of course, could have done slightly better. But um, we've learned a lot of lessons from SARS and mm-hmm. which we are practicing right now. Um, I feel that we are going to emerge, uh, you know, strong, uh, stronger out of this. Hong Kong's also a very resilient place. Yes. It bounces back very quickly. And I'm... I'm very confident that Hong Kong will bounce back. There will have to be corrections in terms of the turnover, the the rentals, the you know the, what you can do. So we we literally have to pretty much scale everything down, and and which is fine. You know this is just a correction. We have to adapt and make the most out of the situation what we are in today, and. Um, and and do this, you know, take this on the chin and keep moving forward. You know, you can't let this bog you down and, and be upset and moan and make it worse than what it is. And, you know, when you have a team to keep motivated and, and you know, enthused and you've got to, you cannot uh, be down yourself. Now you have, a, you have a Hong Kong story and uh, luck versus skill. How much of your success do you owe to luck, and how much do you owe to hard work and skill? So I I I'm I'm totally a very firm believer of uh, the harder you work and the luckier you get. Mm-hmm. What I what what I call luck is is when sequence of events all kind of fall in place, and you're trying to. It's happened many times when working on five different projects and five different things and it becomes extremely frustrating and nothing seems to work out. And after six months in hindsight, you feel, oh, I'm so glad it didn't work out because things wouldn't have worked out the way, the way I was hoping to work out and, and things wouldn't have you know, uh, taken off the way I expected or the numbers would not have matched my expectations. So, um, I, I believe in fate and destiny. I believe, um, but I also believe very strongly in your own karmas. I believe that uh, you need to keep putting in your best efforts and putting in 100% into whatever you do with sincerity and integrity and all the right results will follow. This is a time machine question actually. Um, if you go back in time, 
talk to your 20-year-old self, what would you say to him? I think um, the I had a lot of self-belief when I was growing up. So I always, when I worked, one of the things I learned from the book of Napoleon Hill was, you can do it if you believe you can. So self-belief, a definite chief aim, you know, the resilience, never give up attitude, uh, don't let all your failures come in the way of, um, of you achieving your dreams. There are no dreams too big. And, um, you know, and, and I always dreamt bigger than I could deal with or handle or, or, you know, I was capable of. And I very strongly believe that all castles were built in the air. And I keep building castles in the air and sometimes they come true. And uh, so, yeah, I, I guess going back 20 years, <laughs> or no, a little bit more, <laughs> 30 years, I, I would say the same. Are you a reader? Napoleon Hill, you, you said 14... Laws of success. success. Are there any other books that you would recommend? You know, I mean, I use Art of War uh, a lot in my own management, day-to-day really? -day management. If you actually read the book very carefully, it actually relates more to the management than an actual war. Right. You know, and... Um, you know, so I, I practice that a lot. I, I love, you know, uh, reading about successful people who made it uh, from nothing, you yeah. know, and that's very inspiring. You know, I, I love to go and, and give a talk in the local universities and the local schools mm. simply because I want to, if I can do it, anybody can. Yes. You know, and I want to inspire and motivate as many people as I can who think that there is you know it's difficult to make it and it's it's hard and I I would say you know no times are easy or hard it's your attitude it's not what life gives you it's what you make out of life you've got to put in your heart soul blood sweat in what you do follow your natural talents do what you are what you're passionate about you know as as a 20 year old you can go and experiment on three, four different things and see what works for you. And, and then you will find something which is to your liking and you, what you're passionate about. So there is no reason why you should, you know, limit yourself. And, uh, and, and there's something out there for everyone which, you know, uh, follows our natural talents, you know. And, uh, Put in your heart, soul, blood, sweat, and whatever you do, and success will come your way for sure. Sandy, that sounds like a perfect uh, place to sign off. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for all your wisdom. Well, well, well.